Hi everyone, this is the Academy Talk Show and today we're here with Dr. Jason Piccolo, a former special agent and supervisor with the Department of Homeland Security. He uh, hosts a podcast called The Protectors, uh, chronicling the true stories of law enforcement and first responders. Dr. Piccolo has also written uh, a book, Unwavering a Border Agent's Journey from Hunter to Hunted. Here uh, I am with uh, D.B. Wong, who um, will also be asking a few questions uh, to Dr. Piccolo um, about uh, just his uh, career and uh, what he's done, what he's done in the past. And let's see, let's hear a story. D.B. Um, so, Dr. Piccolo, um, what's your background and what led you to kind of serve your country in this way, especially through some specific role in ICE? Okay. Well, I, I grew up right here in Blairstown, New Jersey, and I loved the mountains. I loved everything about it. And uh, I joined the Army after high school. And after the Army, I um, went to college. And in college, I took law enforcement and military science. I commissioned as an infantry officer. And then I decided to pursue a career in federal law enforcement. So I became a border patrol agent, mm -hmm. and then I became a special agent. And when I was a special agent, I worked what they called high intensity drug trafficking area. So I worked undercover and proactive narcotics operations in San Diego, okay. like counter, narco uh, counter cartel and everything else like that. Right. I was subsequently recalled to active duty and sent to Iraq in 2006, where I was the anti-terrorism officer for the Special Operations Command. When I came back, um, during this whole time, my wife became an FBI agent, and she got moved to Philadelphia. So I was in San Diego, I went to war, and I came back, and I couldn't get a transfer, so I went to work for DOD, and I worked for a secret task force that did Al-Qaeda investigations. I did that for a bit in D.C. until I got a job in Philadelphia, where then I went to work for ICE mm -hmm. as an officer this time, not a special agent. Then I became a fugitive operations supervisor mm -hmm. where I went after uh, criminal aliens. I typically stayed on a criminal alien path. And then I went to headquarters with ICE. And uh, subsequently, later on in my career, I became a whistleblower. And now I, um, now I work for another federal agency. So in, in this whole time, I, I got some education. I have a master's of forensic science, BS in law enforcement, and a doctorate in strategic security. So you're in a <coughs> unique position where you've both served in Border Patrol and also in ICE, Yes. Right? So many people don't know the difference. And if, if you could please clarify for the viewers what the difference between Border Patrol and ICE is, because most of the times their roles can get merged. Well, when a migrant comes to the border, they're either encountered at a port of entry, which is an officer, which right. is a Customs and Border Protection officer. Uh -huh. uh, they wear the blue uniforms. Now, if they come in anywhere else, you have Border Patrol agents, green uniforms, uh -huh. conducting line watch operations who will take the migrant in custody. Right. They will then transport the migrant to ICE custody. Okay. And ICE does all the detention. Right. Now then, when, and then the other thing that ICE does is if an alien or migrant, I like to call them migrants, I don't like, you know, I'm not a big fan of So when they, um, when they don't go to court or they flee, mm -hmm. then ICE also does that. But people don't realize that ICE, only 40% of their doctrine or their mission is um, immigration. Mm -hmm. The rest is counterproliferation, which means going after weapons and stuff like that going back and forth. Narcotics, because I was an ICE special agent as well, mm -hmm. so I did narcotics investigations. Child pornography, child exploitation, human trafficking, sex trafficking, money laundering, 
a, a whole anything I always try to tell people anything that has any crime that has an international nexus right. meaning it crosses the border right. one way or the other mm-hmm. ice does that and what happens is because the optics are ice is removing families mm-hmm. um, the other 60% of ice that's out there doing like all these like high profile undercover investigations mm-hmm. kind of get looped into that whole spectrum right okay so what exactly led you to sort of study um, in in the future, eventually join ICE? Uh, what led you to this decision to study? Well, Border Patrol is immigration. Right. So then when I um, when I was in Philadelphia, I wanted to get back into Homeland Security. And one way to do that was to get back into ICE. I've always had this like counter-terrorism, counter-narcotics, counter-everything. So I kind of wanted to get back into the, into the fold of doing that. So you mentioned <coughs> child exploitation and child, um, um, basically, migrants being exploited, right? Yes. And that's what ICE covers. And that's also something that you whistleblowed during the Obama administration. Yes, I did. Can you explain more about that? Sure. This is kind of a convoluted process, and a lot of people don't understand it. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned before, these were unaccompanied children. Mm -hmm. So smugglers were using them to get either other, for illicit means, here in the United States. And we're not talking like, you know, 13 or 14 year olds, 17 year olds, people always like, oh, that's MS-13. I'm like, no, these are tender age kids. So what happens is you have a tender age child comes to the border with a group of adults, non-familial adults. Mm -hmm. They get apprehended either, not apprehended, but they take in custody by Border Patrol or Customs and Border Protection who gives them the ICE. ICE processes them Mm -hmm. um, and then gives them to Health and Human Services, a whole different agency, non-law enforcement agency. HHS, Office of Refugee Resettlement, mm-hmm. gives them to a contracted facility. Now that contracted facility was getting an influx of 60 to 90,000 children coming in a year. And what happens is they didn't, they, they needed sponsors for them. Mm-hmm. So anybody could come in and say, oh, you know, that's part of my family, that's a friend or whatever, and take custody of those children. Wow. And those sponsors were not getting vetted. I see. And what I found out was a lot of them, after the fact, we were, when we ran the criminal history checks, were criminals. Mm-hmm. You know, out of 34,000, or no, 29,000 sponsors that they ran the criminal histories on, 3,400 were criminals. And I was like, uh, I was working for the White House mm-hmm. Security Council. So I said, hey, you know what? If we're not going to do an operation about it, um, that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it, it rubbed me the wrong way. So what I did was I went to the Office of Special Counsel mm-hmm. and I blew the whistle. So why do you think that um, whistleblowing was the best option for you to get this information out? Why why do you think that that was your main route in taking? That's the only legal way to do it. I see. Now I've told my supervisors to do an operation mm-hmm. that went nowhere. Now you'll see a lot of whistleblowers, quote unquote whistleblowers out there like Snowden right. and the other ones. They're not technically Ellsbury whistleblowers. Well. They're yeah, what they're doing is they're they're leaking information rather than going the legal mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I went to the Office of Special Counsel, and then when I was uh, subsequently, I alleged retaliated against, I went to the Senate. I see. So okay. that's how you get to Senate. And you could go directly to Senate, too. You don't have to go to OSC. Okay. So there are legal ways to do it. Okay. Right. Um, so <coughs> just shifting gears now, um, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask about what you think about President Trump's current proposal for border security, including his wall. Walls are, are you'll see tonight if you go to the, um, the presentation. Walls can work in a way, and a lot of people don't realize that. 
the border is 2,000 miles long. So that's basically driving from Maine to Miami. Can you put a wall on Route 95 that's, the whole of the way? That's there are like golf awesome. courses that go into Mexico as well, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Now you have natural, like you have the Rio Grande, which is probably roughly, what, 900 miles. Mm -hmm. That's gonna curb some traffic, but the migration patterns are still gonna come. But if you have an open, unfettered border, which most of the border is, you'll have areas where cars can't come across. What happens is you have 100 to 1,000 migrants coming across a year dying in areas where we can't monitor. Mm -hmm. You don't understand that technology works to a sense. You can have, all, you can have helicopters, you can have drones, you can have sensors, you can have heat sensors, you mm -hmm. can have any type of sensor you want, but you still need people to make apprehensions. So if you put up, I was an infantry officer, so if you put up walls, fences, some sort of pathway that's gonna funnel traffic in, you could focus your resources in that area. And that's not just, hey, we're gonna go out there and arrest everybody because you know what, we're evil government. It's, hey, we're gonna send out the border patrol search and rescue teams to go out there and save people because you know what, that border is the bloodiest and deadliest exactly. area you've ever Absolutely. seen. You can't go out the border at 3 p.m. next to a port of entry in, it, in the afternoon with the sun shining right. and go, there's nothing going on here. Yeah, You have to go out there at like, you know, two or three in the morning right. and just watch. So like, just adding on to that <coughs> point, in late 2018, a video surfaced on Facebook of uh, border patrol agents actually dumping out supplies which were left by NGOs on like the mm -hmm. Arizona portion of the border. So where do you think that line should be drawn where you're not trying to help people, illegal immigrants, come into the U.S., but you also want to preserve life. No, I, I'm, I'm all for leaving uh, supplies out there for, okay. for migrants that come across. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a dad. I have a, a 9- and 11-year-old, and that's one of the reasons I blew the whistle, because I saw we were releasing little kids. Yeah. My politics are pretty much straight down the middle, a little bit to the right. Um, <clears throat> if anybody's doing anything bad in a uniform or outside of a uniform with a badge, they need to be held accountable. Okay. Do you have um, any, like, in your opinion, is there any good solution to our current crisis? Uh, bipartisan immigration reform. Right. We need to piecemeal it. A lot of people think the Immigration Nationality Act is thousands and thousands of pages. You know, every type of reform that people want to throw at it is either really right or really left. You need to piecemeal it and find solutions to each piece of the immigration puzzle because you can't you're not going to solve it all at once but if you could sit in a room and I always say sit in a room with people who know what's going on on the border NGOs um, law enforcement boot street level people we're not talking management because management tends to have their other site setting at being a bigger manager so if you listen to these NGOs you listen and there's not just you know pro-immigrant NGOs there's other ones out there going after child traffickers and everybody else, you need to talk to the, the full spectrum. Absolutely. So, do you think, um, which do you think is a bigger problem? First, um, the legal immigrants who are currently residing in America or the illegal immigrants who are actually of, of influxing into America? And also, <coughs> adding on to that, what do you think of sanctuary cities and also secure communities? Wow, you're throwing them all out there. <laughs> um, my problem, I'll just answer one for now, is the the problem coming through the border is there's a pull factor. Mm -hmm. Right now you have, uh, a few months ago, there was a big arrest at a food processing plant down, I believe it was like Alabama or one of the big states, uh -huh. and they arrested 600 migrants, 600 something migrants. 
that is part of a bigger picture. They're going after the companies. Because right now the companies, these big, huge conglomerates, mm -hmm. are advertising, you make it up here, we're gonna give you a job, doesn't matter of your immigration right. status. That's the pull factor. So it's the economic uh, it's the economic pull. That, yes. That is sort of and right in. now there's no immigration reform. So you're always gonna, as long as the, the migrants think that if they get a foothold here, mm -hmm that there is gonna be some sort of uh, immigration benefit for them, which there may be in the future, who knows? Mm -hmm. But we need to target these, the smuggling organizations mm -hmm. that are smuggling the people up, and then we also need to target these companies that are pull, the pull factor, because all the, I guarantee you those companies where they arrested those migrants, they documented that 630 of them were here illegally, mm -hmm. and now they're gonna use every one of those to go after the company. So you're gonna, I'm gonna say probably about uh, nine months to a year. Cause when you're working white collar crime, I also teach white collar crime. Mm -hmm. Most of those cases take, they can come up to two to three years before they go to prosecution. So the government's working on, I guarantee you right now, they're working on a big case against them. The other thing too is at the border, each body to the smuggling organizations is 2,000 to 5,000. And if they're coming from a different nation, i.e. a special interest country or something like that, like. Egypt, Somalia, or whatever, you're looking at 8,000. That's a billion dollars a year just in smuggling bodies. Now, if that became a tough issue for them, they would just smuggle drugs. They would smuggle anything because the criminal organizations are the ones that are making the money. So where would these people diffuse to once they get into America? Everywhere. Prostitution. Um... Oh, well, now this is the other thing, too, is you got to remember, if you're paying $5,000 to get smuggled into the United States and you're right. coming from a third world uh -huh. country, how do you pay that back? Where do you get that $5,000? So you get a life of servitude, or until you pay that off, and who knows what's happening to you on the way up. And then if you're lucky, you'll have a family member sponsoring you who can get you to a, a safe haven. But if not, I mean, even if, like, I was looking at it this way, if we have a million people coming across the border a year, even eight to 100, 800 to a million, just think about 10% of that, that's, 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 it's crazy how many are getting exploited. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's the whole political charge of ICE and everything else mm -hmm. is just, that uh, just drives me nuts. Yeah. I see. <laughs> so, um, let's say, um, let's say they get, let's say the exploitation ring is covered and people <coughs> are, um, so, and the government figures out who were exploited, what happens then? Do the people get sent back to their own countries? or It depends. There are special uh, visas for victims. Mm -hmm. And they do have a huge... Uh, the DOJ actually has a victim witness program, which is amazing. Um, so there are opportunities for them to have some sort of relief. Mm -hmm. So what kind of exceptions or contingencies would illegal immigrants who are currently residing in America have in order to not get deported back to America? Well, you have, a you have to have a reason to stay. Okay. Um, that's family members. Uh, you could always file a state of deportation, um, and a lot there's are there's probably millions of people on um, on orders of supervision right now where they've been ordered removed, but their cases are going through the system. One thing I'm going to bring up tonight is right now we have roughly 420 immigration judges, 420 for the whole nation. Right now there's an 800 or something thousand case backlog to adjudicate all these claims. And that's not including all the new asylum claims coming up that get their day in court. So we need to hire new immigration judges. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, awesome. Thanks so much thank for your time. So